If you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, and I'll read through verse 11. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Hear the word of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and you and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we come once again to the throne of grace, and, and we are a needy people, Lord. We need to hear, thus saith the Lord. Uh, we don't need necessarily some of the voices that are out there uh, seeking to lead in a different direction. We need your voice and your spirit to speak to us every time we gather. We're gathering here tonight, so speak to us in the power of your Holy Spirit and give us understanding of what we're about to learn and help us to apply that which is being taught to us from Holy Scripture. So bless us, we pray, and use us. In the name of Jesus, amen. I would uh, probably say tonight, is, in going through the Revelation 2 and 3, it's probably going to be more of a teaching ministry than sort of a, a preaching ministry. I'm not going to be flailing away today up here or tonight, but I'm going to be speaking from the Word of God and... Uh, and I trust that you uh, and, uh, and, my, and I would uh, receive it for what it is. It is the word of life. One of the things about the book of Revelation, especially the seven churches, uh, these were written certain, certainly in the first century. Maybe a little, yeah. But it's written for the church throughout the ages. That's the important thing for us to know. It's just not the problems that they suffered at that time. Those problems are still with the church of our Lord Jesus Christ today. And the question is, how do we deal with them? Well, I think as we looked at Ephesus, we did not, the church there did not deal with it very well. They were commended for their love for Christ and for truth. They were very theologically correct. They understood theology. They understood the word of God. And the elders were commended because they understood it and they held the line for as long as they could. But like so many cases, going back to Judges chapter 2, a generation grew up, as we read in Judges chapter 2, that did not know God nor the things of God. And in a sense, the same thing happened in Ephesus. They started out well. They understood truth. The elders labored to the point of exhaustion. So you elders, please understand, there's a lot of work and sometimes there's a lot of energy that is expanded as a result and expended as a result of the church and what the church is going through and what the church is all about. 
So it's very important that we listen to this. One, uh, one of the things that I'm reminded of, uh, this morning I spoke about life and death, or I should say the scriptures through the Apostle Paul, uh, using this uh, kind of frail old sinner to, to speak the word of God to you. But you're going to hear a message tonight about suffering. It's not something that many people want to sign up for. In fact, if there was a class on suffering, probably most people wouldn't be here because they don't want to suffer. In fact, you find in the modern church, the church today in the U.S., where people, they don't want to hear about suffering. That's the last thing you want to be hearing about. Maybe the worst thing is about death. So we're dealing with two issues that most people, even in the church, do not want to hear about. But it's in the scriptures. It's God's word for God's people. So we need to hear it. And listen, not just hear it, but practice. And hearing in the scriptures is, is, is an indication that not only do you hear it with your ears, but you do something about what you have heard. So, so there's a lot of people don't want to hear it. And uh, I think of some churches, uh, there's a mega church, and I'm not going to mention any particular names. Thousands of people go there. And they hear a pep talk. And they leave there, they're all pepped up. But they really don't know Christ because sin is not spoken of. Salvation in Jesus Christ is not spoken of. But you won't find that in this church, and I trust in the PCA, as long as the PCA is in existence. We talk about the whole counsel of God when opportunities arise. But we, we speak. We speak from the Word of God. So some people don't want to hear about it. They don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to hear about hell. Uh, they don't want to hear about suffering at all. They, that's anathema to them. But it's a reality for the Christian community. If you go back through history, you'll see that suffering had a major part. And oftentimes, in the midst of all the suffering is where a lot of church growth took place because people had no hope. And finally, they heard the gospel and they responded to the gospel. They joined the church and things changed for them. But I remember hearing, uh, I was working with the chaplain one time, and he said, uh, you know, if you, if you go more than 15 minutes in a sermon, you just don't have much to say. I didn't say to him because he's a rank, I didn't say anything to him because he's a rank higher than me at that point in time. And he stayed a rank higher than me. We I came equal in the long term. But, uh, but he, uh, he, he, he told me one time, because I didn't have anyone to fill in for me, he said, you know, if you want me to come out and fill in the church at, at Ramstein, I'll, I'll do that. And I didn't say anything, but when I walked away under my breath, my breath, I said, over my dead body. Over my dead body. I knew him. I knew his theology. And he was not about to come to the church where I was a pastor. Uh, literally, it would have been over my dead body. But he, he said, you don't have much to say. I mean, if you, if you can't say it all in 15 minutes, don't say anything. And I thought, well, so be it. Uh, but suffering is, is something that people don't want to talk about. It's anathema. But going back just a little bit in my notes here, in the Reformed tradition, there are three marks of a church. And I, maybe you know them. If you don't, these are the marks. The preaching and teaching of the Word of God the proper administration of the sacraments and church discipline. 
If you speak about church discipline today and the vast number of people who are in the churches in the states or wherever else, they don't want to hear about discipline. But discipline is a part of the church. You see it in the early, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says to the people there in the church, do something about this man because he's having relations with his father's wife. I think that's the case. Well, it's been a long time since I've looked at that particular passage. But he says, deal with him. Put him out of the church unless he repents and changes. And so part of the three marks of the church is the proper uh, exercise of church discipline. I've been involved in that in the presbytery. I've been in several presbyteries where we've had to deal with pastors. Pastors of all people, but they're, they're human. But both of them have to do with adultery. And they were removed from the church. And on one, I wasn't involved, I was involved in two of those at presbyteries. But there's one other occasion where a person was um, using the sermons online of other people, plagiarizing the Word of God. He didn't want to do the hard work of, of exegeting the passage. He didn't want to look at the historical uh, indications and the setting and that sort of thing. He wanted to download a sermon and present it to the people of God. He was relieved. He left that church. He was forced to leave the church. So church discipline is an important part of the church. But Revelation in, in, uh, in Ephesus, in, for instance, after about 30 years, Paul started, John came, and what did he find? A lot of unbelief. And what happened to the church in Ephesus? God picked up the lampstand, as it were, and moved the Word of God from that location to another location where the people would be responsive. You look at the seven churches and you don't hardly see a church there any longer. So it's very important that we understand the church and understand the book of Revelation. And here, uh, John is writing about the church in Smyrna. What is it about the church in Smyrna? Well, there are a number of causes for the church's suffering, but before that, uh, just a little word about Smyrna, just looking at historical setting there, because that's part of what we tend to do. What was the history? They were a very impressive city and very aligned with the Roman Empire. And, uh, and there was a, a, a thing that went out. They were looking to build another temple for uh, Emperor Tiberius. And ultimately, Smyrna won and built that temple in the name of Emperor Tiberius. By the way, I've been to, in Trier, there's a museum there, and they have some coins with Emperor uh, Tiberius on it, gold coins. It's interesting to see. Every time they dig up a road or something like that, they find a coin. But anyway, they built this temple in honor of Emperor Tiberius. And what did they do? As loyal, in a sense, loyal subjects of Rome, they felt that anyone disagreed with them was in the wrong. And they had this 
incense that, uh, with a bust of Emperor Tiberius, and every time they were supposed to go by, they were supposed to, uh, to put some, something there to keep the fire going. But the Christians refused to do that. And they were challenged by the people there in Smyrna for not doing that. They considered it very unpatriotic that they would not be behind Emperor Tiberius. And so they found themselves in some trouble. They refused to sprinkle that incense there. And therefore their patriotism, and they were also considered to be treacherous and uh, untrustworthy citizens of Smyrna. So that was a one of the things that the people in Smyrna had against the Christians there. They also uh, did not like the fact that Christians were going around sharing the gospel. You know, because the gospel is offensive to a lot of people. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it for a number of reasons. First of all, it, it shines a light on them, a light on them that is not very attractive for them. It almost says to them that you're not worthy, you know where you're going. They don't want to hear that because they're living a probably a, a, a decent life. They're living, a, for them, probably a most decadent life that they possibly could. But they don't want to hear that they're sinners and there's no hope for them save in Jesus Christ. So the Christians there who were sharing the gospel found themselves uh, in uh, difficult difficulty with the non-Christians in that community. They felt like most people, they're judging us. And you say in Romans chapter 1, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship the creature rather than the creator. And so God gives them over to their own debased practices. And they, 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 they have problems in their body because of the way that they are dealing with the issues of uh, immorality and that sort of thing. And if you were to look back in the early 80s, 1980s, most of you are young, you don't remember that. But HIV was a big problem in 1980s. I don't, I don't know if anybody even talks about it today, but it's something that could kill you by ca having sex with, uh, uh, having sexual encounters that you shouldn't have. Also, uh, using needles that have been used before for drugs. And people were dying over that. In fact, as a dear friend of ours, his brother, who was a minister, a, a missionary to the Philippines, came back to the States, started filling in at a, at a uh, church. And uh, his wife had surgery in, uh, in Louisiana. And she, as a result of blood transfusion, Contacted, contracted HIV. Of course, in a conjugal relationship, what happens? The husband contracted HIV. And just before he died, I remember visiting him in the hospital in Jackson, Mississippi, and he asked me if I would go fill in. He had a two-church charge, and I said, sure, I would. He died shortly thereafter. A lovely family, a family that had served in the kingdom of God and still serving in the kingdom of God with missionaries, with ruling elders, with generation after generation following out the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of wicked sorts of things taking place and a blood that is, that is contaminated is received in an operation and the conjugal relationship that took place between the husband and the wife killed both of them. 
Actions have consequences. Decisions, some good ones have good consequences. Bad ones generally have bad consequences. But these people in Smyrna did not want to hear what the Christians had to say, that, that they, were, they were lost. There was no hope for them uh, uh, in Ephesians 2. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. Uh, uh, they were separated from God. They, had, uh, uh, they were strangers to the covenant promises, all of those things. They had no hope whatsoever, only living out their life in a decadent sort of way and also coming to the end and dying with no hope with their lifestyle indicated and their refusal to accept the gospel that they would die and go to hell. So we read in John chapter 6, there's only one way to heaven. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's an exclusivity that most people don't want to hear because a lot of people say, well, there's different ways, different people, different ways to get to heaven. Well, no, there isn't. That's a lie. It's perpetrated on a lot of people and a lot of people who are sitting in churches across our nation and perhaps in this country as well and across the world. There is only one way to glory and that is to know Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me and only when they are drawn irresistibly into a living relationship with the living God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So these people did not want to hear the gospel. And there's a lot of people out there. I remember going through an evangelism class in Coral Ridge, that evangelism explosion. And we had classes and then we were to go out in different parts of the city there in Fort Lauderdale. And a couple of us were to go to, were to, go to a local library, stay outside and greet people and talk to them. You can't imagine what people said to us. They did not want to hear the good news that we wanted to share with them. And one time I was, uh, well, I've, uh, I, I uh, was walking around on uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday around the capital of, uh, of Minnesota. You can't imagine the people who drove by and what they said. Same thing happened in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, the words that came out of these people's mouths that, who were in favor of killing the unborn were cursing at us and saying all sorts of horrible things uh, uh, beside that. But you know what? Uh, we started a crisis pregnancy center in Minnesota, uh, both Gertie and I. I was uh, on the board of that crisis pregnancy center, Amnion Crisis Pregnancy Center. To my knowledge, I wish all the crisis preg pregnancy centers weren't needed, but they're still needed. But that ministry saved a lot of lives. And I'm not sure, you probably don't know this either, but uh, Trinity, along with a few other churches in the Ramstein area, started the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Kaiserslautern uh, back in the early 90s, mid-90s it was. And I think that, that, pres that uh, crisis pregnancy is still going. But now we find that crisis pregnancy centers are being uh, torched, uh, all sorts of things are happening in the United States where, where crisis centers are a lot of them and, uh, and are being assaulted by, by the evil one and those who do his bidding. So the world doesn't want to hear the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
They don't want to hear that at all. And there's a third thing that they don't want to do. They, they, they didn't like the fact that the Christians would not burn incense to Emperor Tiberius. They also learned that they did not want to hear the gospel from the Christian community. And there's a third thing that the world really turns against the Christian community. And that is on this, that the Christian has moral standards. The Christian has moral standards. You look at the Ten Commandments, the summary of the law. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and body, the encapsulation of the, of the commandments of God. But we love God. We love our neighbor. Generally speaking, we hold to Christian standards. We're honest. When we say something, we should mean it. It should be the truth. We should not lie, the scriptures teach us. Uh, we're, it's chastity before marriage and it's fidelity after marriage. Anything else is unacceptable in the sight of God. It's also contentment. Uh, I hope that you have found contentment in your life in Christ because that's what he wants us to be content. Content knowing him, knowing the truth, practicing the truth, living the truth out. And whatever comes our way, and we find that in the Apostle Paul, whatever came his way, it didn't bother him so much because he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoicing when he's in prison, he's singing hymns. And those are the kind of things that maybe we ought to think about, that we ought to be people of prayer, singing to God, worshiping him, following him, and finding contentment in our lives, not trying to be something that we're not, be who we are, know to whom we belong, know that he holds us in his hands and nothing or no one can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know what is going to give anyone more contentment than to knowing Jesus Christ in a saving way. And also we practice self-control, at least that's what we ought to. It's one of the last fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is one of self-control and also self-sacrifice, not necessarily the fruit of the Spirit, but it should be a part of our life as we look at the life of Christ and we look at the life of the apostles, we look at the reformers, we look at the Puritans, and, and self-sacrifice is, is a hallmark of the Christian community. I think of some of the, some of the ones, uh, I, you know, I think of Tyndale, uh, I, I love reading his history. As, was, it, was it really so hard to read and see what he went through so that we could have the Bible in our language? And I'm speaking about the English Bible. Other people have suffered translating the Bible into other languages. But Tyndale captured 500 days in a dungeon in Belgium, taken out, tried, ripped of his his credentials in England, never was able to go back to England, and then was burned and hung so that we could read the scriptures. And sometimes we don't even pick them up. Tyndale died that we might read and understand what God had to say for us, to us and for us. But self-sacrifice, it goes all about another one that comes to my mind is John Knox. I love John Knox. I didn't know this while I was in seminary. I didn't hear it and read it. I didn't know it when I was in the pastorate, all of it, which is a sad commentary. 
But when you become a pastor, you're reading to prepare for sermons and one sermon after another and teaching one, one lesson after another. Just casual reading, even though R.C. Sproul said that every pastor should read 10 books a week. I thought, I can barely, <laughs> I'll tell you what I can barely do. But <laughs> the thought of reading 10 books, it gave me a headache just thinking about it. But R.C. Sproul could do that, he's brilliant. But anyway, uh, John Knox, he was on a, a French warship rowing oars for nine years, nine years, shackled to those oars. Now I was thinking to myself, how would I feel? What would I, you, you can't say, I, I've got to go to the restroom. There's no flushable toilets. He probably languished in his own uh, things. I won't get any more particular than that. Nine years. And probably if he wasn't rowing the oars, maybe he was slacking off, probably getting beaten. By the time he was released, after nine years, he went back to Scotland, a broken man. But his heart wasn't broken. His body was broken. But he, he prayed to the Lord, Lord, give me Scotland. Most of the time, people would probably been in bed, nursing their wounds, trying to recover. Of course, recovery was not an issue for him. I think his body was so broken it would never recover. But he wanted Scotland to know Christ. So, self-sacrifice? Sometimes I, I think I don't sacrifice as I ought. Sacrifice time, sacrifice fasting, Fast, uh, sacrifice time in terms of meditating as I ought to, and as all of us ought to. In fact, if you haven't practiced the, uh, uh, the discipline of of meditation, you should. If you look at Joshua chapter 1, you see that. If you see uh, uh, Psalm 1, you see meditation. You see Psalm 119. Meditation just rolls off of every, every part of Psalm 119. And when it talks about pondering or thinking about or considering, all of that is meditating. It's thinking about what's going on. And that's, a, that's, a, that's something that Christians, we need to practice more and more. So you look at, see how the, how the Christians live. They, they wanted to only worship the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't want to worship Tiberius. And so they were mistreated and abused. You see the fact that they wanted to share the gospel and they were treated horribly. You see the fact that they, they, they wanted to live moral lives and that yet they were probably made fun of because the world doesn't look at what we just looked at in terms of the moral standards that Christians have. The world does not want to hear about those standards. They don't want to hear that, that we're opposed to abortion because there's a life there. There's God who's been knitting that little baby in the mother's womb and all of a sudden that baby is ripped out of her womb and is dead. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to see it. They just want to promote it. 
Any attack on an image bearer of God, in some sense, is an attack on God himself. So the world doesn't want to hear about the love of God. They don't want to hear about loving your neighbor. The world doesn't care about being honest. If they can make a profit, they will lie, cheat, and steal. The world doesn't want to hear about marriage between one man and one, one woman in a monogamous relationship for as long as they shall live till death do them part. The world doesn't want to hear about that. The world doesn't want to hear about ethics and work ethics. The world wants to be lazy and enjoy the pleasures of life, not working hard, providing for their family, having some, something left over to share with other people in need. The world doesn't want to hear about that. It doesn't want to hear about the sanctity of life. It doesn't have the, the view of wealth that we have. They want wealth after wealth after wealth after wealth. If God provides us with wealth, we ought to give a good portion away to build churches, to spread the gospel, not to accumulate large investments in IRA accounts and all these sorts of things because you can't take it with you. You came into this world with nothing, as Job says, and you're leaving this world with nothing. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, how did they suffer? This is, a, this is the same thing that's going on today in our culture. And I don't know about Europe, but in the U.S. it's taking place. They're, they suffer in four different ways. And they, they're not surprised about suffering, and we shouldn't be surprised about suffering because the Bible teaches us that. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice and be glad when you suffer. Ah! Really? That's what Jesus said from the mount. It's true. Rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. In other places, like John 15, if the world hated me, they will hate you. Not everybody's going to love us. I, I want to be, probably like most of you, I, I, I like it when people like me but I don't want to sacrifice my theology for them liking me, not at all. If they hate me for Christ, that's all right. Those slurs and those comments that I've heard in crisis pregnancy centers and around those, that doesn't bother me because I kind of expect that. It's, it's going to happen if we're engaging the, uh, engaging the culture. And then in John chapter 16, in the world, you will have tribulation. Believe it. If you're not having tribulation, probably, probably that salt and light is it's a little less salty and not as much light. But tribulation comes in Philippians chapter one. Paul, I, I love all, all of the writers. Paul said, you know, it's been granted to me to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, and also to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Uh, Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Peter talks about it too in 1 Peter chapter 2. 
suffering is something to which a Christian is called to. Now, that, I know that's not a popular message. Who wants to hear that? But it's biblical, it's true. How did the Smyrnans suffer? These four ways. And these are happening today. So wake up and see what's happening. These four ways. They suffered poverty. They were doing, they were working with Jews and others, and they were exchanging products and selling and working together. And all of a sudden, the Jews and the others, Gentiles, unbelievers, did not want to work with the Christian community, did not want to do business with them. We've seen some of that in the States, where people have been taken to court because they didn't want to do certain things and produce certain things that homosexuals wanted them to produce for them in the marriage context. Of course they're not going to do that. But they suffered for it, taken to court. Fined all different things. So they suffered poverty for some for for one reason. And also in Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about the things that the Hebrews suffered, and the same thing here as well. They were publicly slandered. They lost their income. They lost their jobs. Their houses were taken away from them. And also, some of them were put in jail and martyred for the faith. Hebrews chapter 10. And here, the people there in Smyrna, the Christians there, are suffering from poverty. And now they're suffering from slander, the same things that took place in Hebrews chapter 10, and, and that goes on. Uh, even today, they're, they're, they're being slandered. Thirdly, some are put into prison. So, kind of what we read in Hebrews chapter 10, same thing is happening now in Smyrna. And also, they suffered death. Some of them were put to death. And so, you see, those four things... Some Christians are suffering because they're losing their job in the States. Some professors who are conservative are being removed from teaching at these these universities. Some are losing their job in the marketplace, especially with the Google and other big firms like that, because they don't adhere to the policies of that particular Corporation and different corporations are releasing people from work, some with great responsibilities, but because they do not toe the line, the current line that's going on in our country, the states, most of our countries, I mean, our, most of us, maybe there's more Germans here tonight than Americans, but, but it's happening. I don't know if it's happening here in Germany or not, but people are losing their job. Uh, and so they're suffering from slander, they're losing their job. Uh, uh, all of those things are happening to them, and, and some of them uh, are being put to death. Paul was put to death. And if you read Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, Paul is put to death, and you would think there would be a large flock of his people, of followers of Paul being there, but hardly anyone is there for the apostle Paul. And he, he asked that, that someone sent for Timothy. He says, I want Timothy to come because Timothy can help me. But there are few people there for him. 
And at that time, in that prison time, he was actually put to death in Rome. His head was severed from his body. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's, it's in the scriptures. Self-sacrifice, he gave his head, he gave his heart for those people and suffered as a consequence. And I think of James and Peter, and I think Nathan and I were talking about Polycarp, 86-year-old man in Smyrna, 86 years old, took him out and killed him because of his faith. And here in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer probably could have stayed in the States and because he visited the States, spent some time there. I think he uh, did some ministry there, but he knew that as a German, he needed to come back to Germany and try to help out. Uh, and he was captured in prison. In fact, I went to Flossenburg prison camp just to pay homage, I guess, to this person who stood for right over wrong, good over evil, and suffered the penalty. Even though the war was lost, they made sure that he was killed in the last week before uh, the end of the war. So, suffering. The church suffers as her Lord suffered, and as the apostles and as people like Tyndale and others have suffered. What's the reward for the suffering? The reward is this. You have a home to go to. It's an eternal home. It's a home where there is no suffering. There's a, there's a place where you'll sit and have a feast with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a place where you have the crown of life placed upon you. All of those things and much, much more are in store for those who will serve the Lord Jesus even to the point of death. Not many people will sign up for that. I've often wondered you know, in the military, U.S. military, you sign up to go to war. Most of those people won't sign up to die for Jesus. But we'll sign up to protect our country, whether it's U.S. or anywhere else. But how many Christians today around the world will sign up for a life of suffering to follow after Jesus? It will be temporary here. But the rewards are literally out of this world. I know this is unusual, but I think it's more of a teaching time than necessarily preaching. Do you have any comments to make? I don't have all the answers. If I don't, I'll try to find them. But if you have comments that you'd like to make about the current situation in the world and how that mirrors somewhat that took place in the first century and beyond. This is the time that you can speak if you would like. Add to, take away, whatever.
Well, that's all I have to say. I've talked about life, I've talked about death, and I've talked about suffering. Is there any other topic that you'd like to talk about tonight? <laughs> but I want to say uh, thank you and I um, for listening and hearing uh, because the church there is no longer there today. That's a lesson for the church today. If you want to be around and you want to leave uh, uh, a rich heritage of truth and a church that's solid, that means you need to be fully engaged in the work of the kingdom of God and not be afraid because the world will come after us to either slander us, to take our property, to put us to death, or put us in jail. And it's important for us to know where we stand before that day comes. I don't, I'm not a prophet, but I certainly don't see this world getting better. And I see the forces of evil gathering very powerfully, very vocally, and sometimes we're silent. So let's get in the fight, run the good race, fight the good fight, finish the race, give God the glory, and look forward to what he has in store for us in the new heavens and new earth. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we deal with some difficult subjects because life is difficult and, and you know uh, all about the difficulty. You loved us and you sent your son to die for us almost unimaginable considering the wrath that was poured out upon him for our sins and the righteousness that was imputed to us so that we might live in a, a life that is worthy of our Savior who died for us and lives again for us. So Lord, help us to read the times, but only after we've read the scriptures. Help us to devote ourselves to reading the word of God consistently, to take it in, to meditate upon it, to pray over it, to learn from it, to engage the world with the only message that we have, ultimately, is that Jesus saves. And he's the only one. Bless this church, Lord. Cause it to grow, not only numerically, but, but spiritually. May there be that desire to deep dig, to deep, very deep into the word of God so that we might show ourselves as workmen approved of you, of you so that we might honor you with our lives and with our voices. Oh, Lord God, be with this church. Bless her, keep her, cause your face, oh, Lord God, to always shine upon her, oh, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.